Oh, Holy Spirit, come. Come as the fire and burn. Come as the wind and cleanse. Come as the light and reveal. Until we are wholly yours. Amen. Well, I want to tell you about a, a couple. They met when uh, she was 15, he was 16. They started dating. They dated through high school. Nobody was surprised when they got married after graduation. Four years and two babies later, she stood in her kitchen with dirty dishes in the sink, with a crying baby on her hip, and dirty clothes uh, laundry in the corner and she felt stuck tears streamed down her face she really didn't think about leaving she just took the kids and left later that night she called her husband he said I'm 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 been worried about you where are you she didn't say he asked again, what's going on? Where are you? She hung up. Over the next three months, she called him about once a week, just let him know that the kids were okay. But whenever he asked where she was, click. Frantic, the young man borrowed $2,000, scraped it together from family and friends to hire a private detective. Four days later, he had uh, his answer. She was staying in a cheap motel in Spokane. So borrowing some more money from friends and family, he flew out to, to, to see her. As he was walking up to her motel room, he had no idea how this was going to turn out. His heart was pounding. His face was sweating. His hands were shaking even as he knocked on the motel door. When she opened the door, suddenly he couldn't remember this little uh, speech that he had prepared, and so he just blurted out, I love you. Won't you come home? She stood there for a long moment and then melted into his arms, and they cried for a long time. And then they left the motel together. One night, several weeks later, after the kids were in bed, he took her hand and led her out to the front porch. They had not yet discussed this incident, but he knew they had to. He had to know. And so he asked her, why wouldn't you come home? Every time you called and I told you that I loved you and I missed you and wanted you to come home, why didn't you come back? She, she snuggled in close to him in the cool of the night and said, because, because those were only words, but then you came for me. God is like the young man who kept, keeps telling us that he loves us, asking us to come home, and then Jesus came. Jesus came for us. 
you know, I believe it's, an, it's a turning point of amazing grace when we realize that even though we have hurt God and spurned God and deserted Him, we become convinced in spite of ourselves that He loves us. When you discover that God loves you, let me tell you, something inside of you changes. Your outlook even upon yourself has a fundamental shift because you believe that, that God is fond of you, that God believes in you, that God wants the best for you. I have heard some of you say that it's only been since you've been coming here to Faith Westwood that you have discovered that God loves you. Let me tell you, I want that for all of you. And, and you might believe it in your head, but when you actually experience it, that's when everything changes. Today we joined 38 other churches in the metro uh, focusing on what love can do and we're going to follow the Love Can series all the way to May 14th. So yes, love can make it to Mother's Day. <laughs> and today we're going to discover what love can do from an episode in Jesus' life. Uh, so I'm going to ask you to turn in your Bibles uh, to uh, Mark chapter 5. Uh, starting with verse 24b. There are a few Bibles also in front of you. Uh, and in the pew Bibles on page 1006. And by the way, the B is not in the verse. It's just our way of saying it's the second part of the verse, uh, which in this case begins a new paragraph. And uh, if you, by the way, if you don't personally own a Bible, we, we can fix that. Just, just take that pew Bible home with you. It's yours. Keep it. Uh, we'd love for you to have it. Now, early tradition tells us that the gospel writer Mark had been a translator and interpreter for Jesus' disciple, Simon Peter. So we believe that Mark learned this material firsthand from Peter. Now, earlier in the gospel, Jesus has already developed quite a reputation as a healer uh, and, and demonstrating by these miracles that the, the arrival of God's kingdom. Jesus did these things. He, he sent evil spirits out of a man. He, he touched a man who had leprosy bumps all over him, and immediately his leprosy was gone. Jesus took the hand of Simon Peter's mother-in-law, who was sick in bed with a fever, and her temperature returned to normal. Jesus told a paralyzed man, your sins are forgiven. And then he said, get up and walk. And the man got up and took his mat and went home. Another time in the synagogue, Jesus saw a man whose hand was all shriveled and withered. And Jesus said, stretch out your hand. And his hand was restored. Now, in this passage we're about to look at, uh, that Emma read for us, Jesus has just returned from the other side of the lake, uh, the lake of Sea of Galilee, and, and the crowd is just ex so excited to see him. You know, Jesus is back! You know, they're all going crazy and nuts over him. And, and, uh, and then, so let's begin there with the second half of verse 24, the beginning of the paragraph. It says, A large crowd followed and pressed around him. Now, the Greek word translated pressed is a word that would remind you of pressing the juice out of grapes, okay? 
So, so people are, are, you know, kind of smashed in there. They're, they're bumping each other. They're crowding each other. Uh, you know, kind of like the starting line at the Easter egg hunt, you know. <laughs> All those kids and moms and dads just packed in there. Verse 25 begins. You follow with me there. Verse 25 begins, and a woman was there. And I won't read all that, but we learn that she, she had, had a discharge of blood for 12 years. Um, she's anemic. She's weak. She doesn't have healthy color to her face. Uh, maybe she's even short of breath. In so many ways, this condition defines her now. Not only is she sickly, she's considered ritually unclean, unfit for public worship, socially She's ostracized. And we're also told she's broke, having spent all her money on doctors. Uh, one of the ancient uh, remedies that they would use during that dive day for this kind of ailment, maybe others as well, is that they would take wine and then they would mix this sort of bitter rubber powder in it. And sometimes they would add... Uh, you know, chopped up crocuses or onions, things like that, into the mixture as well. But, of course, it didn't help. As a matter of fact, her condition got worse. This condition defined her life. She's alone. She's hungry. She's sick. She's poor. She's desperate. And worst of all is this sense of shame that she carries about herself. So now, let's look at the start of verse 27. If you can kind of skip down there with me, it says, When she heard about Jesus. And so I imagine that she has heard, you know, that, oh, Jesus is back from the other side of the lake. And she's heard that about all the things that Jesus did, how he healed uh, people of a fever and leprosy and paralysis and the shriveled hand. And she wants to be healed too. But her shame keeps her from asking Jesus directly. So she decides to sneak up behind him and touch his clothes. In Luke's gospel, it says that she reached out and touched the bottom hem of his cloak. Uh, and I'm sure she's figuring that with everybody pressing around him, you know, oh, he, he won't notice this. Uh, it, it's, it's never going to bother him. He's never going to know, but it'll be enough to make her well. So I can just imagine her getting low, crouching down. She reaches out and makes contact. And suddenly, she feels something. She feels strong in a way she hasn't in a long time. She feels healthy. She stops hemorrhaging. Uh, and, and now her plan is to, you know, just to kind of back away, slip away without drawing any attention. Good luck with that, right? Jesus turns around and says, Who touched my clothes? <laughs> now the disciples are thinking, Where did that come from? Uh, sir, we want you to know that people have been pushing and, and jostling and bumping into you for, since we can't, got off the boat. Why are you saying that? And so... Uh, but as it says in verse 30, Jesus realized that power had gone out from him. So he keeps standing there, 
scanning the crowd. And I can imagine that that noisy scene has just turned very quiet. Now, follow along with me at verse 33. And I love how vivid the language here is in this verse. Then the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came and fell at his feet and, trembling with fear, told him the whole truth. Why is she so afraid? Do you know? Maybe, maybe she's afraid uh, that he'll be mad at her for, for taking his power without asking. And besides, you know, she might be thinking, oh, who am I compared to this person who does miracles? What will Jesus say? Will Jesus say, how dare you touch me, woman? You have defiled me. Or will he say, you have stolen my power and now you're going to pay? Or will he say, this woman must be a terrible sinner or she wouldn't have suffered so much. But that isn't what Jesus says, is it? In verse 34, we come to the defining moment. And so I'm going to ask you, if you have your Bible still open, join with me. Let's read together verse 34, shall we? He said to her, Daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace and be freed from your suffering. Notice he call, what he calls her, daughter. Such tenderness such dearness and while the power came from Jesus he credits her faith with accessing it your faith has healed you and that word healed is is weightier than we, we might think it's also the word that we used that we would translate saved so it's more than just being cured of a physical ailment this is a new identity the restoration touches something in her body, mind, and spirit. And then Jesus gives her a blessing. He says, go in peace. The word might have been shalom. Be freed from your suffering. That which for so long has confined you and defined you, you are set free from it. You have a new identity now. Now, I started thinking about this woman, and I thought, did she ever get sick again? Probably so. We all get sick once in a while, right? But even then, I believe that she saw herself differently. She could say, I am loved by Jesus. My pain, problems, past no longer define me. Let's say that together, shall we? I am loved by Jesus. My pain, problems, past no longer define me. That's what happens when you reach out and touch Jesus by faith. You receive more than you expect. I am loved by Jesus. My pain no longer defines me. I am loved by Jesus. My problems no longer define me. I am loved by Jesus. My past no longer de defines me. You know, people are going to tell you all kind of things trying to define you, aren't they? People are going to tell you things that make you feel like you're worthless or that you're hopeless. And then there's also that sometimes that accusing voice inside of us that says, oh, you're unlovable, you're unredeemable. But that's not Jesus. 
Jesus says, my son, my daughter, you have come to me and your faith has saved you. That is the voice that defines you. I want to share a video with you um, of a young man named Elvin. Uh, Elvin lives here in Omaha, and I've had the privilege of meeting Elvin a couple of times, a, a great young man. I'm really impressed with him. But after hearing his story, I'm even more impressed with Jesus and how Jesus has given him a new definition, a new identity. Let's watch. My name is Elvin, and I serve as a pastor with New City Church. I was born in Puerto Rico uh, in 1978, and uh, to my mom, who was only 20 years old at the time, my father was pretty abusive, abusing drugs and physically abusing my mom. Sometime around 1980, she moved us to New York City. So we moved into the Lower East Side, Manhattan, a lot of drugs, uh, crime kind of escalating around that time. My mom always worked really hard. Um, I remember there were many times that she had uh, um, just working her fingers to the bone to put food on the table. Family life was, you know, we were, I think it was one of those things like we could fight, but, but we're never against each other. So like, we can fight with each other, but don't you dare try to fight with my family. And by the time I was in junior high school, high school, uh, there were just different opportunities uh, for a young guy who was willing to get out there. And I knew I had a lot of friends who were on the drug scene and, and it didn't take too long before I was on the drug scene. And I remember, you know, very first day that I went out there, got arrested. <laughs> first day, first day. So you would think he's not very good at this. I ended up in an NSD um, uh, that was run by Boys Town. I don't know all the ins and outs, but um, I know that uh, Boy Tom said, well, we'll take Elvin. We'll take him and we'll pay the whole bill. So I got to, uh, to Nebraska and it was a world of different. Um, it just kind of, you know, just show up and do your job and, and, and you get a grade. It's pretty simple. And so I was excelling in school. I was excelling in the home and I was getting all the attaboys. You know, well done, good job, Elvin. That felt really good. Um, at, at the same time that I still kind of felt isolated and alienated, even though on the outside everybody was patting me on the back, I was still, you know, finding weed with my friends and smoking out and, you know, getting high and, and doing those things, messing with the girls on the side. And so I was like living these two lives. Uh, about six months after I got there, my brother showed up at Boys Town. A few months after he gets there, my brother starts talking very differently. Um, he starts coming over to my house. He was in one home, I was in another. He starts coming over to my house and starts telling me about this Jesus. And he started uh, um, expressing what Jesus did for him um, and it freaked me out. Like literally what I thought was that these white people brainwashed him. That's what I was thinking. I grew more and more curious and I, and I wanted to know more and I would ask questions and, and they, we would push back. And, and then I remember one day um, uh, really pushing back and telling him, you come to my house, come to hang out with me, come to chill. Don't come to preach at me. I was just tired of it. Um, I think I was tired of it because it was, it was touching a spot, a sore spot. Um, I was reading, and I was reading in 2 Corinthians, and, and I, I came across 5.17, um, and it said, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation, the old is gone, the new has come. And it was like a light bulb went on in my mind. It was, that's what happened to my brother. 
I really wanted what he had. And I remember first time I ever prayed, like really prayed, having a personal conversation with God. I said, God, I want what my brother has. And if it's having Jesus, that's what I want. You see that house with all the lights on right there? Right? I'm pretty sure it was that one or the one right here. One of these two houses, I can't really remember. But I was only there for like a couple months. That's the house like I saved it. So I met Jesus in my bedroom in one of those houses. And then my brother was living here. I started just having this hunger. I couldn't put the book down. I couldn't put the book down. I had a lot of questions. And at that same time, around that same period, we were in a process of transferring. So I was in the process of moving from my home at Boys Town to my brother's home. I was only with them, like in their home for maybe 18 months, not even two years. And in those 18 months, told me how to read my Bible, how to pray, how to share my faith. Those were essentially the three things that I, that, I, that I gleaned most and just how to do it um, for real, stop playing. Even though I'm forgiven, he's still shaping me. It's, it's not like I'm a work in progress, but I'm thankful that Jesus isn't done. You know what I mean? That he finishes what he starts. And so, uh, um, so I think that's how Jesus' love has defined me, that you can stumble and fall and he doesn't look down on me, scolding me and scowling. It's, it's like, all right, get up and do it again. Get up and go again. Um, I had a pastor once say that we often enter into relationships asking the question, how can this person serve me? How can they meet my needs rather than the other way around? I think that love defines us because we're always searching for love. We're created to be in relationship. So. Jesus was answering the question, uh, what's the greatest commandment? Um, he said, love God, love people. You know, what we get, we give. And so if you've experienced love from God, you can't help but give love to others. So I think that's how it defines us. It's about relationship, affection from God, flows through us, we give it to others. I know some of you have uh, experienced some really hard things. Terrible, tragic loss in your life. And maybe there are times when it seems like grief is just going to swallow you whole and you're not going to survive it. But you've also had people around you who have stood by you, who have loved you and listened to you. And some of you have uh, you've learned about the grief process and you've gained support from our grief share group. The pain is still there. But the pain no longer defines you because Jesus is there. Some of you have dealt with some devastating problems in your life. Unemployment, infertility, mounting debt, divorce, all the above, a whole bunch more. And you reached out to Jesus and to those, to people in your life who are learning to, to live and love like Jesus. And, and your problems may still be there. Or if they're gone, who knows, they may return later. But those problems no longer define you. Because Jesus is there. Some of you have done things you deeply regret. You have lived in a private hell of remorse for a long time and the shame that you have felt has has led you to 
do more things that you regret, which just adds to the shame. And then you opened up to somebody you trusted. And amazingly, instead of getting rejection, you got compassion. And from then, you began to trust a few people who are supporting you and caring about you and praying for you, people who believe in you. Now, the past is still there, but the past no longer defines you because Jesus is there. And just as he did with his first disciples, Jesus will breathe into you the Holy Spirit. And that's how we experience God. That's how we touch. That's the touch of God. This morning, I'm going to end the message by giving you an opportunity to make a silent testimony. Silent testimony. If emotional pain or physical pain has become a controlling factor in your life at some point, but now you say, I am loved by Jesus, my pain no longer defines me. If that's you, will you stand and remain standing? If you have regrets from your past that have haunted you, for which you have felt great shame, but now you say, I am loved by Jesus, my past no longer defines me, will you stand and remain standing? If you have problems, if problems have plagued you in your life, disappointments, setbacks, hardships, just unexpected being thrown at you, you don't know how to handle it. But now you say, I am loved by Jesus. My problems no longer define me. Will you stand and remain standing? Every person you see standing here today represents a story, maybe many stories, of what love can do. And you know, if Jesus can do that for them, what would keep him from doing it for you? So I'm going to ask you all to stand with me now. And I was thinking about this woman and what was going, the woman with the hemorrhage and what was going through her mind. Uh, she had heard what Jesus had done and she thought, if he can help them, surely he can help me. And you know, I don't know how much faith that she had. She certainly didn't have a lot of confidence, but it didn't make any difference to Jesus. She reached out, and her faith was enough. And Jesus wants to say to you, reach out to me. Your faith has saved you. My love defines you. Go in peace and be free. Let's all pray. Lord God, we uh, are amazed at, at the wonder of what you have done for us. Lord, we are people that have all kinds of troubles. We have pain and problems and a past and things that we just haven't been able to shake and things that have defined us for so long. And yet, Lord, we hear you. We hear you call us my son, my daughter.
we're surprised that, that you love us. And so, Lord, let that love define who we are. Lord, we also would say, however we can bring your love to others so that they can experience that, Lord, use us. That they may find that love defines them as well.